30 on Tuesday, October 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi faith leaders are coming together on the heels of tragic events across the country. We'll hear their message of unity. Then a new study suggests a link between youth obesity and screen time. And we'll learn how a volunteer program continues to promote literacy in Mississippi after 20 years of service. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's Jewish community is joining together with Christians, Muslims, and non-believers to speak out against anti-Semitism. At an interfaith gathering at Beth Israel in Jackson, members of the three religious traditions offered prayers in response to the deadly shooting that took the lives of 11 worshipers at Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania over the weekend. The faith community leaders are coming together in solidarity. Bishop Ronnie Crudup is pastor of New Horizon Church International in Jackson. He emphasized diverse sources of support for Beth Israel. That is a a word in working together Jackson's uh, title that we want everybody to understand, and that is together. That we are here today as a very diverse group of people from working together to Jackson to say to this city, this community, to this nation and this world that we are here together with Beth Israel and with justice-loving, life-loving people all across this metro community, state, and nation. Working together, Jackson demonstrates every day its commitment to diversity, and that is because we are a group that is Muslim. We are a group that is Christians from every stripe. We are a group certainly that is Jewish. We are a group that, of people that are non-religious, We are a group of organizations that love justice. And we're here, once again, to give this congregation that is a part of working together, Jackson, and let this city know that we stand with our brothers and sisters and that no one should misunderstand that and that people who would perpetrate hate that you don't have in this city, you won't just come after this congregation, but you will come after all of us because we stand together. New Horizon Church's Bishop Ronnie Crudup. Bishop Joseph Kopaz leads the Catholic Diocese in Jackson. He offered thoughts on the faith community's role in responding to emergencies such as this. We are first responders. At a very deep level, we are responding together to be and to do all that we've just heard, brilliant, prophetic, profound. And together we, we come back from being scattered, which this kind of thing can do. It's, it's horrible. can leave people just feeling powerless and hopeless, and yet we know we're not. But we need one another, as we are here today, to restore that life, that tree of life that's within each one of us, and as we heard from our faith traditions, from our community commitments in in every way. And as I gather with you today, probably you don't realize, but I'm a neighbor 
just around the corner. So truly a neighbor, not only physically near, but in all of the vision that each of us has for life. And so again, I thank you, and together we move forward, we respond, and we will bring the light wherever that is needed. God Catholic, bless. Catholic Diocese Bishop Joseph Kopaz. The Anti-Defamation League calls the shooting during Sabbath services on Saturday the deadliest anti-Jewish attack in U.S. history. Beth Israel's rabbi, Jeffrey Curtis Lender, tells MPB's Ezra Wall how he received the news. My initial reaction was similar to the events that we've heard of many attacks that have taken place throughout the country when schools have been, uh, when Parkland was was. The, the, the school in Parkland was, was shot, uh, you know, when, when Columbine happened, when, when uh, uh, the, the, the children were, were killed in uh, Sandy Hook in Connecticut. And, and uh, you know, so that was my first reaction. Just, okay, another mass shooting. And, and then it, it, it took a moment for it to register. It's like, this is a synagogue. This, this could have happened here. This could happen anywhere. Um, there was one time where I interviewed for a position in Pittsburgh, not at that synagogue, but a synagogue a half, um, half a mile away from that synagogue. And, you know, I could have been there. I mean, so this is really shows the vulnerability that, that we, what we have that we as American Jews usually don't feel. Um, in Europe, there's a lot more concern about attacks on synagogues and, and attacks on, on Jews that, that the anti-Semitic attacks in Europe have been exacerbating over the last couple of years, but not really so much here in America. So this is a wake-up call to remind us that we have to be extra vigilant in our security, but it does erode a little bit of the foundation of security that we have. You mentioned that it could have happened here. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't that many years ago when it did happen here in the in the 1960s. Here at Beth Israel, there was a, a, a bombing. How how does an event like this weekend's uh, 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 play into into thoughts of, of security here at at, uh, at Beth Israel? Well, certainly we saw that the uh, the bombing was was real, and the bombing was horrific for our congregation back in 1967. Uh, and it was real for, for the rabbi whose home was bombed. But first of all, it's been five decades. Uh, second of all, that was also like a time-specific event where we kind of feel that was directly related to the civil rights movement and the outspoken uh, nature of, 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 uh, of the leaders who, who were speaking on behalf of the civil rights movement. And we kind of feel that, that we fought that battle and that battle's over and that battle's in our history. So we kind of we look at it from a historical point of view and not necessarily from a current events point of view. And, you know, for this to happen now, uh, just it certainly brings back memories for the people who went through that. But for those of us who didn't go through it, this is kind of a wake-up call for, for all of us, too. So you, you talked about, uh, about that battle having, having been won, but have, at the time it having been uh, spurred by the rhetoric of the period and the political machinations of the period. Uh, um, is there some kind of uh, idea now that maybe the battle hasn't been won in that regard as far as anti-Semitism? Well, let me make it clear. If I, if I said the battle was won, that was imprecise. What I meant to say was that battle is behind us. That battle from the 1960s is behind us. Uh, that doesn't mean the battle has been won. Uh, certainly, 
the level of violence that is perpetrated on minorities today, uh, you know, is still extremely significant. And there are many people, you know, many people within those communities who don't feel safe, don't feel safe uh, uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, but I, I, I do have some concerns about the fact that there seems to be an upswing uh, in racism and anti-Semitism over the last few years. It seems that I don't think there are more racists or more anti-Semitic Semites, or I also don't believe that more people are becoming racist or anti-Semitic, but I think we're in a period of time where the people who are already racist and anti-Semitic feel empowered to be able to express those. And uh, it's unfortunate, uh, and I certainly can't pinpoint a specific reason. It probably has to do with the level of civil discourse that has taken place in this country where it almost seems like opposite sides don't respect each other. We can't engage in a discourse where we, we disagree on the future of the country without that going to vilification, and it doesn't need to be that way. I'm looking around at the congregation that, that's here today. It's, uh, it's uh, Jews and Christians and Muslims and non-believers and uh, a whole scope of people, not only in the congregation but speaking, uh, speaking uh, from, from behind the microphone today. And, uh, and a lot of those people might be looking at the situation going, I'm not Jewish, I don't belong to a synagogue, what can, what can I do? So for people out there who are wondering, maybe they have Jewish friends or neighbors or anything like that, uh, what, what can they do? What should they say? What should be their reaction? I think it's the words and expressions of support that make a difference right now. We don't have physical needs. Um, you know, we have our building. No one here was injured physically. Uh, we feel uh, relatively safe and secure. We are, you know, enhancing our own internal security operations. But really just the expressions, the expressions of love and support goes a long way. And, and there are times where words have a significant impact. And now is one of those times where just to, it makes people feel like we're not isolated, we're not alone. And uh, otherwise, you know, you could have a scenario where if, if, we're going through it and other people seem to not care, then you feel like you're alone. But when other, other people feel they do care, it's, you, you don't feel so alone. And you, the security of being part of a community makes it important. And uh, otherwise, we would feel isolated. Rabbi Jeffrey Kurtz, Lendner of the, uh, of the Congregation Beth Israel in Jackson. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Monday's gathering was sponsored by the group Working Together Jackson. Coming up, a new study suggests a link between youth obesity and screen time. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A recent scientific statement published by the American Heart Association says smartphones, tablets, TVs, and other screen-based devices are making kids more sedentary. As TV viewing among kids has dropped over the past two decades, newer devices have resulted in more screen time overall, according to the report. They say sedentary behavior is tied to overweight and obesity in young people. Mississippi now leads the charts as the state with the highest percentage of obese youth between the ages 
ages of 10 and 17 with 26 percent. So we asked University of Mississippi Medical Center Dr. Morgan McLeod to weigh in. In our continuing coverage on the state of obesity, she tells us one of the concerns for children who are overweight. High blood pressure. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that. Recently, I had a five-year-old that was on blood pressure medications, and his, you know, workup was totally normal, and so it's related to his obesity, um, and probably some genetics too playing a factor in it in our younger kids. But a lot of our, most of our children that have high blood pressure, it's because of obesity. A five-year-old on high blood pressure medicine. Mm -hmm. It happens, unfortunately. That's one of the younger. I would say most of ours are teenagers by the time we put them on blood pressure medicines, but yeah, it's happening younger and younger. If that five-year-old and others who are young, who are on medicine, if they change their lifestyle behavior, can they get off that medicine? Most of the time, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, if they're that young, under six, the AAP recommends doing a pretty good workup, checking their kidneys, checking their heart, making sure that there's no other reason for it. Most of the time it is related to obesity. And if you lose weight, it does make a difference. If you are obese... And you're a child. Can you have clogged arteries? Yes, but it takes time, you know, and that's why we don't see these diseases until you're adults. You're not going to see heart disease in a child, most likely. Most likely not, but you could in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, I take care of um, adults as well. So we're seeing our obese population in our 30s having to go for heart casts for stents or for um, open heart surgery to have the bypasses done younger and younger so it's, you know, you don't necessarily see the effects of the high blood pressure right now or the effects of the diabetes, and it doesn't make you feel bad. I don't know if any of the listeners have high blood pressure or know somebody that has high blood pressure, but before you were diagnosed, you probably didn't feel bad. You know, you may have noticed a few things here and there, but overall, you were able to go about your day, you felt fine, and then they tell you you have high blood pressure. So it's kind of like the silent disease. You don't realize you have it. And that's why it's so important to catch it in our kids and to try to combat this obesity because we don't see the effects now. We see it later on in life. And then we're seeing it earlier and earlier. So the younger that they're diagnosed with this high blood pressure, the earlier they're going to have problems. You know, earlier generations, you'd be in front of the TV and mom would say, hey, turn that off and get outside and play. Well, now there are so many other distractions that are keeping kids sedentary with smartphones and tablets and laptops and all that sort of thing. The American Heart Association just did a study where they think it is related that children are becoming obese because they're more sedentary because of these devices. It's definitely playing a factor for sure. Um, a lot of our obese children, you know, we counsel them on diet and exercise. And one of the first things we ask is, well, what kind of stuff do you do through the day? And, you know, so it's it's definitely common for our obese population to be playing on the computer, playing video games, playing on their tablet, not getting out as much. So I, I think it's definitely, definitely related um, and definitely a source of why kids are having obesity. What would you recommend for activity to get a kid moving? So I always tell parents, find things that they like to do. You know, you don't have to take them to a gym or put them on the treadmill. You know, uh, find things they like to do. Ride bikes around the neighborhood. If they like to play basketball, find some friends. Put up a basketball goal. Basketball is something easy that everybody can do. Swimming is a great one. So um, especially in the summertime, that's a great place. Um, or like some local gyms that may have low uh, membership fees to have pools and you can join and go there. 
Another one I always tell people to do is like find somebody that has a dog, be a dog walker, you know, go take their dogs for walks. Like, so you want to find fun things. You don't want to just put them on a treadmill (laughs) because that's miserable for everybody. You know, I mean, that's miserable as adults. We don't like doing it. And especially as a kid, you want to find something fun and something that they enjoy. So try to make it creative, find different ways that they like it. I had a patient yesterday that loves to sing and dance. Well, there's all kinds of singing and dances and videos on YouTube. Um, So if they're younger kids, you've got to watch what they're actually Googling on YouTube. But there's different workouts like Zumba and different dance workouts that you could find videos on their tablet. (laughs) So use the tablet for good and find some videos and different ways to make it fun for them to get their exercise. Is eating correctly and exercising, are they equally important when it comes to losing weight? They are equally important, but when it comes to losing weight, your diet is going to probably make the biggest difference. So I, you know, I tell people uh, you can't outwork a bad diet. <laughs> um, Good advice. <laughs> well, because, you know, and, and somebody else explained it to me like this one time, and I thought this was kind of interesting. He told his patients, you know, you eat three times a day maybe four or five if you eat snacks. And when you sit down, you're eating for probably at least 30 minutes, you know. So when you add all that up, that's a few hours throughout the day. When you go exercise, it's usually going to, we recommend at least 30 minutes a day, but 30 minutes to an hour. So you're out eating your exercise. Exactly. (laughs) So, so yes, exercise is very important and you can't do a healthy lifestyle without diet and exercise. But when it comes to actually losing weight, the diet is, is going to be a huge factor in it. Dr. Morgan McLeod works in internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and she is our new host of Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, which you can hear Thursdays at 11 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Dr. McLeod, thanks so much. Yes, thanks for having me. To view the American Heart Association statement, visit heart.org. Listen to MPB News on all your devices. Just download the MPB Public Media app or tell your smart speaker, open MPB Think Radio. Coming up, we'll learn how a volunteer program continues to promote literacy in Mississippi after 20 years of service. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting for more information. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. America Reads Mississippi is celebrating 20 years of service in the state with an eye toward the future. The AmeriCorps program has dual missions to improve the literacy skills of students and to equip volunteers with skill-building resources on the path to becoming Mississippi teachers. Ron Jeanette Taylor is state program director for America Reads. She tells us local entities connect with the federal uh, program to meet community needs. AmeriCorps and in particular America Reads Mississippi, our program, are this year in our 20th year. And across those years, uh, we have demonstrated the impact that solid collaborative efforts can make through public-private partnerships. How has it been over the last 20 years? We've had our ups and downs. I would like to say mostly ups because 
AmeriCorps members are really amazing individuals. They come into the program really with a heart to serve their local community. Some of them are serving in schools where they once attended as elementary students. Uh, Many of them uh, have children in those schools now. And so this is really personal to them. And so when they have the opportunity to serve in that capacity, you can really see how they know that what they're doing is making a difference. Um, Through their service, struggling students have received daily literacy support through one-on-one and small group tutoring on foundational literacy components. Are AmeriCorps members already licensed to teach, or do they earn that while they're in the classrooms during their time as AmeriCorps members? Right. No, AmeriCorps members are not um, certified. They're not licensed. They are there for the express purpose of providing a wraparound service to the classroom teacher. Um, They're also not teacher assistants. They're not employed by the district. They are a part of that school's instructional team by virtue of their role as an AmeriCorps tutor. AmeriCorps is a pathway to future employment, uh, really in any sector, but a part of our mission is to help cultivate an increase in the number of certified teachers in Mississippi. So once a Corps member completes their year of service, which in our program would either be 1,700 hours or 1,200 hours, depending on their slot type, they are eligible for an education award, and they can use that education award for up to seven years, or it's available to them for up to seven years, and they can use it towards the expenses for college. And then many of them do go on to become certified teachers, and many of our members are teachers in schools where they once served. Ronjanette, what grades are targeted? How old are the kids that are targeted with reading literacy? Our program serves kindergarten through third grade. Um, These are students who have baseline skill scores between the 10th and 45th percentile. For us, that's usually one one to two grade levels behind. Um, And so our schools identify the students um, from those baseline scores, and then they provide that to us, and then we craft the different literacy interventions around the needs of those students' um, grade level specific. What are challenges specific to Mississippi in that Mississippi is is at the bottom or among the bottom states in regard to literacy? So there is an uphill battle when students haven't had the opportunity to begin with a good foundation that instills both the love of reading and the importance of it and the critical part that reading plays in their future. And so if that has been missing uh, from that student's uh, earliest of years, maybe even before they become a student, in their earliest of years, if that uh, has not been instilled, then it makes it really hard. Um, I think many of our tutors express deep heartfelt sorrow over where their students are when they come to them for these services. But on the brighter side of that, the reality is is that our core members do have great success in helping students um, to move the needle from where they are when they first start to getting to a place of, of really being able to excel. Um, we celebrated 20 years this past weekend, and one of the faces of impact was a, a core member who um, was both an alumni um, and also a current member. She's serving a second term, and she says that she visited the fourth grade hall of her school to see the students who were in third grade when she tutored them, and they just ran up to her and gave her big hugs and asked if she would continue to tutor them, and she said, no, because you're, you're doing well now. You take what, what, you've been, what you've learned and what we've taught you and use that on your own now in the fourth grade. And the student said, well, 
is there any way I can come back to the third grade and be in your tutoring <laughs> class? What if I what if I fail? And so we're like, no, 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 no. That's not the attitude or the mindset that we want you to have. We'll come back and visit, but we want you to use the skills that you've learned, um, what you now know on your own to be an independent reader and to be an independent learner. How many core members are in Mississippi right now? For America Reads Mississippi, we have 84 core members who are serving in about 26 schools across Mississippi. We are in 26 schools. I think that represents 14 counties or 14 districts from um, the northern portion, which is supported by the Mississippi State University region of ARM, uh, central Mississippi, which is supported by Jackson State University, the ARM region there, and then southern Mississippi, which is supported by the University of Southern Mississippi ARM program. You've talked about the two decades, and happy birthday, by the way. What's ahead? What are the goals ahead? The program as a whole is dedicating this entire 20th year to connecting with program alum. We've had 4,800 individuals served just in our program since 1998, and we want to evaluate the impact of service on their lives, on their educational and professional pursuits, and also use this 